So we are now on phase one, talking to our core congregation. So a quick overview of how these listening sessions work for you as the expert listener is that first, you'll be listening to everybody. And during that process, you will be recording. And then afterwards, you will take that data and compile it so that it's ready for the retreat. So you're going to be listening to people, you're going to be either taking notes or doing audio. And at the end of each listening session, when it's completely over, you're going to pull out the info sheets and record certain data. And this isn't all the data that's important. There might be something that's said that one person says randomly that becomes this huge spark to an idea you've never thought of that doesn't fit nicely on a data sheet. But the data sheets are just to give you a quick glance at some core data for the info sessions. And then you'll also notice that there are shapes that correspond to each question. And that's because each shape actually relates back to a data sheet. We want you to focus on those shapes after the listening session. That's just for your own use later to make sure that you are corresponding particular information to particular sheets so that way later everything can be organized and ready to present during the next steps. But for now, just focus on learning as much as you can from your community. So now let's go through each question. Okay, so Connor, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to ask you these questions as kind of an example of what this looks like. And all of these questions were specifically designed to be done in a certain order. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I did that. When you go up and ask someone, hey, what's the problem or how do we fix it? They can get really overwhelmed or they can become pretty critical. And if you have a group of people together and you're meeting with your core congregation, the truth is they probably tried a lot of things and have a lot of knowledge and might pretty quickly be like, hey, we've done all of this. This is what's not working. And then you can kind of get a negative vibe and people can shut down and really get into convergent thinking and they start getting prescriptive and linear. So what we've done is we're trying to stay really broad and then get slowly more narrow so that we can keep that divergent thinking going throughout the meeting. And it's really okay throughout the process when you're asking questions, if someone jumps ahead, like when I was asking people questions about what they love or what their biggest imagination Sure enough, someone would be like, hey, well, this is why we can't do it. And I would say, thanks. That's going to be really important for the next set of questions. Make sure you bring it up then. But right now, we're still trying to stay in the imagination. We're still trying to think way bigger than we can possibly accomplish. And it's important that we kind of stay with the process. So as the expert listener, make sure you keep people in that place instead of jumping ahead. Okay, Connor. So if it's cool, we're going to take you through this process and I'm going to ask you these questions and then I'm going to explain after your answer about why this question is important. Great. So what is your name and what do you love? My name is Connor and I love to knit. I love that Connor loves to knit. And here's why that's important. This is kind of an icebreaker question, but also the reason that this is the first question is people light up when you ask them what they love and you want to just ask what they love because maybe it has nothing to do with the church or maybe it does, but you really want to start the meeting out, not just with people, the ability to talk about what they love, but this also might give you some important insights about what the passions and loves of the people in your community are. It's also really fun to see someone here, another congregation member, talk about something they love that they didn't even know about. Like if someone, Connor is like, well, I love to knit. And then someone else is like, wow, I didn't even know that you knit. I knit. And then later someone's like, well, I knit also. Hey, we should knit together. And so just getting them to be able to listen to each other in ways that they've never listened to. And it's just a really fun question to ask people what they love. Okay. 
So next question, and this is where we're going to enter into the dreaming phase. And it's really important to keep people in the dreaming phase to think as big as possible. There's no wrong answer. So what would you personally want your church to be for you? I would love my church to be a place that's overly generous with one another. We get to share not just our stories, but also what we own, our gifts, our our skills, our trades, whatever. I just love the idea of the church being a place where we get to share everything together. Right. So Connor's answering this question in a very typical way that some people are going to answer it. And what I want you to do at this point is really encourage them to go a little bit deeper. So I'm going to do that with Connor. Connor, you're talking about what the church could be, which is great. And we're going to talk about that a little later. But I want you to talk about specifically, what do you personally want the church to be for you? And I think it's really, really hard to get people in the church to talk this way because it feels selfish. Like, what do you mean? The church is about serving other people, or at best, it's about us helping each other. But sometimes people have a really strong idea of what they need from the church, and they feel like they can't say it. And that might be guiding some of the solutions that they're presenting or the criticism that they have. And so think about as the expert listener, how do you get people to really answer this question of like, surely you want something from the church personally, And so in Connor's answer, where he's talking about he wants it to be a place where everyone can share, I start thinking, is that because Connor feels like he needs a place to talk about his life? So Connor, what do you personally need from the church? Yeah, I think for me, like, I like to know that there is an abundance of resources that like I can tap into and be a part of. Like as an artist, I love knowing that there are people around that I can have be part of my performances or become or come to my shows or that is willing to let me borrow something like to help me make something like I love knowing that there is a community of people who support me as an artist and that they can do that through their resources and their presence. Connor, your first answer was awesome. And it gives me an idea of your heart for the church. But your second answer gave me really practical solutions of like, oh, I had no idea that Connor was interested and finding other people to work with or other materials or other skills. So it was really helpful when you gave your second answer, because though your first one gave a really idea of your heart for the church of what you want it to be as a community. Your second answer was very specific and had my brain working in a little bit different ways about what you need and maybe what other people like you in the community need. Okay, so next question. What would you love to see the church be in the world? Yeah, I'd love to see the church be there for everybody when they need them. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of along the lines of my first answer, but like, I want to know that there's a community that can be there, not just for me, but for people who are in need of a place to stay or a place for a meal or a place for finding a job, like whatever it is. Like, I, I want the church to be available for those who are down on their luck or suffering or whatever. They're in need of something. Or somebody. Right. So this is a really hard thing to answer. And it's okay if people are struggling. But that's why we have the follow-up question right after it. And so you want to open the space for people to have a really positive interaction of like, I, I know what I want the church to be. I want, like Connor's saying, I want the church to be loving and providing community. And it's okay to ask follow-up questions like, Connor, what does that look like to you? Like you're saying you want the church to be community for people what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Like maybe you'd say, I don't know. This is just an idea I have. Or maybe Connor has a very specific idea of what community looks like as a church in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, I think something I've been experiencing at my current church, which is an urban context, is like there's no system right now to support the homeless people that are right near our church. And there, there are many reasons for that, but it feels like on a deep level, just as a member of a church, I feel like our church should be able to do something about that. Like we need to be a part of the solution. And I, and it's obviously a really hard one, but I don't know what that is, but I know that we should be reaching out somehow. And that's great. I think that's a really great, important point. Encourage people to say what they're thinking and that they don't have to have the solution to share it. It can be intimidating. Like maybe Connor's thinking about how he really wants to help the unhoused community around the church, but doesn't know how to do it. So maybe feeling like he can't share that until he has a solution. So encourage people to share things, even if they don't really know what the answer is during that process. And also encourage people several times. I don't know is a great answer. (laughs) People can say, I don't know, but also don't be afraid to ask follow-up questions for more specifics. A great follow-up question I love asking people, no matter what I'm talking to them about is, hey, what does that look like for you? And it just kind of gets people the opportunity to think of specific examples so that you're not making an assumption. Like if I say that I want community and Connor says he wants community, we might be thinking about completely different things. So it's good to clarify by just saying, hey, what does that look like for you? Okay, maybe someone says, I honestly have no idea what I want the church to be in the world. This next question is really helpful for everyone. Sometimes it's helpful to think about what we think the church should not be because that gives us kind of a track to look and like, well, what's the opposite of that then? So you just asked this question, Connor, what is something a church should not be? What's the anti-goal of the church? What should the church not be doing in the community and in the world? I immediately think the church should not be insular. Like we should not just be closing our doors and windows to everybody else. Like I'm okay with there being a boundary, but there should not be like a a closed steel wall between us and the outside community. And you might have someone else in that same group answer. I think the church should not be an open house to anyone that wants to come in every time they want to come in, not taking any responsibility for the building. And the point is not to get everyone to agree or to see the same way. The point is to just listen and see what the wide variety of answers are. And when I've done the session before with core congregants, very often you see people that are even on leadership completely disagree with this answer. And the cool part is it generated some really cool conversations. I was a part of a core congregation Um, listening session once. And one person was talking about the church should not be telling people in the world what to do. It should not be the moral center. And then someone else is like, wait, then what is the point of the church if we're not the moral center of the community? And then it started this really great conversation about what does it mean to be a Christian in the Pacific Northwest when everyone already thinks that means that you are this, this, and this. And then we're having to fight through all of their judgments of Christianity because of how Christians have judged them in their past. So it actually ended up starting this, which then later, which was not part of this project, people started this really great Bible study and community group to talk about, are we Christians? Do we want to call ourselves Christian? Should we redeem what Christian means? So that disagreement was really important in that session when we really were trying to figure out what do you disagree with? So providing the ability to be honest and truthful about what they're thinking and to be okay with people having different answers is really important. So you can see what perspectives people are working from and who knows what it could lead to. Okay, Connor, what do you feel the next younger generation, younger than you, could learn from you? And start out by saying how (laughs) old you are to give a little context. (laughs) 
All right. Well, I'm 29, which means I'm at the tail end of millennials. But Gen Z definitely feels different from <laughs> the generation I'm part of. And obviously, Gen Alpha, the, the teenagers now definitely feel like a younger generation than me. So what could they learn from me, though? I, I, <laughs> I think this one's kind of hard because I immediately want to say, like, oh, the thing that I didn't know as a young person that I know now and I'm starting to grasp more fully is, like, things take a long time <laughs> to, like, grow. Like, a tree takes many years before it has, like, a solid trunk. And it's, like, as a young person in my early 20s or as a teenager, I thought I could do things immediately. And I wanted things to happen immediately, too. Like, this idea that the world could change on a dime just, like, made sense to me. But now as I've gotten older and I'm 29, I'm like, I'm like, oh, change actually happens much more slowly on like a grand scale. And I can't necessarily expect that. So I guess what I would want to, I don't know, I guess this also kind of answers the next question. <laughs> yeah, let's stick with this question. It's really hard. And I think just to kind of say the point of this question and the next one is, we have a lot to learn when you have multi-generational communities. And unfortunately, one of the things that we're seeing within different churches is we're not seeing as much multi-generational community. And the experience of a Gen Zer or even the alpha generation, which I didn't even know that's what teenagers are called, and I have a teenager, um, is that like my 16-year-old, her life experience is so vastly different than mine, and I'm 41. And it's, there's becoming a greater and greater and greater chasm. And so the ability to communicate with each other, to pass on information and to learn from each other is getting harder and harder. And one of the number one things that I hear churches say all the time, which may or may not be an issue in your church, is we want young people in our church. How do we get young people in our church? And so one of the first things I always ask is, well, what have you asked the young people? What do they say? Why don't they come to your church? And also, where are they spending their time? Where are they getting that sense of community and all the things that you want to offer? And so this is a pretty complicated question. And so the goal is just to get people talking about it and thinking about it. Now that you've said those things, I think for me, something the younger generation could learn from me is just knowing that technology doesn't have to be the end all be all. Like, yes, technology is very important. And yes, technology is amazing. But like, I still have a, a, an appreciation for meditation and going out in nature and, and listening to people in person. Like, I, I really think that that's still important, even, even though like my stepbrother, like, I mean, he's like video chatting his friends constantly. Like, that's just how they interact. So I don't know if that's a good answer, but. <laughs> well, there's no right or wrong answers, Connor, but you do bring up a really good point. And this is something that came up during the listening sessions that I've led before is this idea of like, okay, well, we want to relate to kids. Kids are on technology all the time. So let's develop technology to reach them through technology. But when you started thinking about it in a different framework of like, well, Connor, what do you want to teach younger kids? And you're saying, hey, that you don't have to be on technology, that you might be missing something without that technology. Then your solution maybe changes from, let me get on Snapchat so that I can snap with you to how do I create a technology-free zone? How do I create a space in my church where teenagers do not have to worry about the constant bombardment of information? Or maybe like one thing I notice with my daughter who's a teenager is when I was a teenager, I got to go home. So if things were hard at school, 
I got a break at night when I was home. But now it's hard all the time because her friends can access her through technology all the time. So I think a lot about how do I, how would I create a space for her where she got to just be? And I started thinking about youth groups and churches, and maybe the solution isn't to have a high tech youth group to attract kids, but maybe a low tech youth group to attract kids because they're not getting that anywhere else. And if Connor hadn't shared his answer about the thing that he thinks he can teach a younger generation, then maybe we wouldn't have come up with that solution. So stick with me here for the next question is, what do you feel like you could learn from the younger generation? Yeah, and maybe maybe it's kind of the converse of what I already said for what the younger generation could learn from me, which is that I can learn how to better integrate technology into my life in positive ways. Like sometimes I have a really negative outlook on technology, particularly social media, but maybe there's actually really amazing things I can do with social media and how I connect with my friends and other people. And then also the beauty of being a young person is that things can change. You can imagine a future that feels like right there and you can actually like fight for it in that moment and not be afraid of the fact that it does take a lot of work. You just kind of go for it. And that's something I can continue to learn for younger people is why not just still go for it? Like who cares if it takes forever? Like maybe, maybe my resistance to trying to do something big is because I know it's going to take a lot of work now. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Connor. I think that's really important. And, and when you ask this question, what I found is really interesting, especially if you have um, older people in your congregation, sometimes they might be stumped and they might have a lot to say about what they can teach a younger generation, but really not be able to come up with anything about what they can learn. And I think we can fall into this pit. Sometimes I do it as well of like, wait, I've been where you've been and I've been all these other years. So I have things to teach you. And I think that's true, but we need to understand the world that younger people are growing up in because it's different than the ones that we've grown up in just as much as we want to make sure that there's things that we're teaching them that they're not getting because their world is so different. Yeah. And that's actually something we've talked about, which I have actually been thinking about a lot lately is that we're in a really unique time period where we actually have to have mutual trust for different things from different generations. Like everybody has something to give. Everybody has something to learn. Everybody has something to teach. And we're in a really special time where actually the teenagers have really important things we need to listen to and vice versa. Like older generations have so much that they can teach the younger generations and we have to learn how to listen from both sides. Right. And I think if you ask this question and your congregation doesn't have people that are young present and they're like, I don't know what I have to learn from them, then that's some important data there that if you want to know why there's no young people in your church, it's because maybe the people in your church are not valuing that they have anything to offer your church. There is this study that came out recently about young people in the church and how differently they think about collaboration and leadership. And so if you have a very hierarchical church, then that is not going to be as attractive to younger people because in their life, in their world, they're very much used to crowdsourcing and collaborative leadership. And that's what they're looking for. They're also looking for their opinion to be validated and valued because in the world they're growing up, Everyone wants to know what they think. And to be honest, maybe we don't need to know what everyone thinks all the time, but that is a mentality that younger people are going to have is like, hey, my opinion's valuable. So if they're coming into a community that really doesn't think they have anything to teach, they're probably not going to want to stick around. 
So asking these questions is more about getting a temperature gauge with your congregation about how they think about the differences of generations. And if that's important to you to begin thinking about, wait, what can I learn from them? What kind of questions should I be asking them? What kind of information should we be having them lead in our community? Okay, so after this section, we've had everybody dreaming, thinking big thoughts about the congregation and the community. And now we want to get a little bit more specific. Um, And this next question is my absolute favorite question to ask people. So I'm going to ask Connor, what are you an expert in? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Wow, that's that's a hard one. Just like Connor said, it's a hard one. I'm going to go ahead and prep you before he answers and say, this is a difficult question for people to answer. And you might commonly get people respond with, well, I'm not really an expert in anything. And it's because of how they're thinking about what expert means. And I really want to challenge that to the fact that you have a lot of expertise. Every single person is an expert in something. And it might not be the way the world traditionally defines like an academic expert in something. So you want to encourage people when you ask this question about what are you an expert in, not to make a value judgment of what expertise means, that you have to know everything about a subject to be an expert in it. It's basically in your life, what do you feel like you're the most of an expert in? And what you're looking for here is like, what skills do you have within the community to offer? So Connor, what are you an expert in? Yeah, if, if that's if that's the way it's framed, that's actually really helpful because I could say I'm an expert in web design. I love getting to design websites. And uh, I'm an expert musician. I love getting to share my music and being able to sing and play guitar and play the drums. Great. And so like I had people when asked this question, they'll often resist and be like, I'm not an expert in anything. And I'm like, well, what have you spent the last 50 years doing? Well, I raised my daughter. And then I ended up raising my granddaughter. I was like, so are you, would you say that you have some expertise in raising children that maybe you have some expertise in loving people and creating a home? Do you like to bake? Maybe you have expertise in baking. Oh, you worked for a nonprofit. What did you do at that nonprofit? You did admin work. So you've got some admin expertise, maybe some technology expertise and really kind of break down every single person has expertise in something. And I love just asking the question, what are you an expert in? Because I want people to start thinking of themselves as a resource for your community. Um, A really quick example of one community and one church that I was working with where I did this listening session and asked this question. And at the very end of the process, some of the feedback I got going through this whole design thinking process is one of the leaders in the church said to me, she's like, you know, when you came to us, we really thought that the church was dying and that the next step was really going to be kind of shutting the doors and kind of sunsetting our church. But when you started asking us what we were experts in, I realized, she said she realized that she had been focusing on what they didn't have. We don't have money. We don't have congregants. We don't have young people. And she said, I was blown away at how much we did have in the community. Because when you ask that question, I listened to everyone saying what they were an expert. And I thought, wow, we have so many resources that we haven't even begun to try and use to see what we could do in the community and what kind of church we could be. So it's not just about finding out what skills people have to offer, but it's also reminding people you have tremendous resources in this community and really looking at it from that perspective instead of the perspective of what don't we have and what are our problems. The next question is pretty straightforward. Where do you volunteer? Uh, Right now, I volunteer with an organization called Knitting in Solidarity, where we create prayer shelves for mass shooting survivor communities. 
Okay, this is so great that that is where you volunteer because this is a perfect illustration of the point is that your first question talking about what you love was knitting. And there's a direct tie to how you spend your volunteer time. And so if you're a church and you're wondering why, like we've started all these programs and nobody shows up and nobody wants to help out, that's kind of what you want to look at is like, well, are people interested in the program that you started? A lot of times we look at need. The community needs this. And that might be true. But if you don't match that with enough people that have the time to volunteer and also the passion and interest in volunteering in that specific area, you're going to have a really hard time creating sustainability in that program. So what you're looking for, not just information about, hey, why aren't people showing up or how much do people like a lot of times they might say, well, I don't volunteer anywhere, but I really want to. And suddenly you're like, wow, there's a resource. There's some time resource right there we haven't tapped into. But it also will give you an idea of even though this program that we created to, I don't know, do after school tutoring in the community, that's not really working out. Even though it's a great program, no one in the church seems that interested in tutoring young kids. Maybe we need to try a different program because we don't have enough passions and interests that align with the programs that we're creating. Also, another thing with this question is you might find out, wait, half of our congregation volunteers at this nonprofit. Maybe we should be doing more of a collaboration with that nonprofit because it seems like there's a lot of people interested in working with them. So it's going to give you some important information about how people are spending their time outside of the church as well as inside the church. Okay, last question on this personal specifics. And it's a little bit more of expounding on the last ones. What issue are you most passionate about, if any? Yes, yeah, interesting. Actually, I, I know that I volunteer in response to mass shootings, but I actually feel like uh, immigration is probably what I'm most passionate about. Right. So right there, you have important information and you can do follow up questions of, well, if you're the most passionate about immigration, Connor, why don't you volunteer to help with around issues of immigration? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something I've actually been thinking about. <laughs> Right. And so then you're getting important information around what the barriers might be. Maybe it's, I don't really know how to volunteer. I don't know where to volunteer. There isn't a program for me to volunteer. So that's why it's important to ask people where they volunteer to figure out time resources, passionate resources, but also just asking simply, what are you passionate about? Because you might begin to see that, hey, there's a lot of people with a lot of interests. Why don't we go with that resource instead of trying to create something that we think we should do? So Now we're going to get to some really important questions. And by this time, hopefully everyone has been able to spend some time really dreaming and reflecting and being really positive about their own lives, feeling really empowered that they have a place in their community. And they also have knowledge to bring to this meeting. At this point, usually the meeting might've started out some that I've been to where people are like, I don't really know what to say. I'm here because you asked me to be here, but I'm not sure I have anything to offer. And it's really cool to see people's faces of like, wow, I really offered something. I have something to offer to this community. So then you're going to get some information and you're going to ask them specifically about your church. So Connor, the church that you are a part of right now, what is working in that church? Yeah, I feel like for the church that I go to now, for the core congregation in particular, they are very good about being in each other's lives. And just being there for one another, asking questions, praying for one another deeply. And it sounds like they're really good about reaching out to one another during the week, especially if during the people's prayer, they're like, oh, I was really, you know, my aunt was feeling this way or she's been, you know, in the hospital. Like everyone's really good about reaching out to them. So I feel like they have a really good, they're really well knit together as a community. Thanks, Connor. 
expert listener, this is really important. When you are part of the ideation session, when people are coming up with great ideas, you might be able to remember and kind of triangulate, hey, I heard a lot of people passionate about this thing. And I also, there's a lot of expertise in our church about this thing. And this is something that someone keeps bringing up that is working well in the church. Hey, maybe we should lean more into that idea. Maybe we should be like using Connor's example of Connor's really passionate about doing things together. He really wants to be in community. And the, he's saying that the church does that really well. How do we fortify and strengthen our community so that people outside of the church and other people in the church can really see how well we love each other? So this is a really important thing for the expert listener to be listening to, to kind of doing some divergent thinking, putting pieces together so that during the ideation session, they're able to bring that forth to everyone else in the meeting for ideas. Okay. So Connor, what's not working in your church right now? Yeah, I think what's what's actually interesting about the thing that is working, it kind of has a double-edged sword a little bit because what's not working is that it actually makes it a little challenging to join the community. Because there's so much of like the tight knitness of the community, it, it feels like it might be hard for someone outside the community to actually join in. And then also with this particular community, there is truly an issue with how the building relates to the space that it's in. Like it's context in the community, like this building is owned by the city and it actually puts a lot of restrictions on what the community is able to do within their own building. And then I think another thing that's really odd about this congregation is that everybody lives far away from this church. Like, like almost nobody lives within 15 minutes. Everybody lives far away. And I think that also adds like a really weird thing to how the church actually functions, knowing that they can't necessarily meet in their space beyond Sundays. Everybody lives far away from one another, but yet everybody's still tight knit on Sundays. Like, it's just like a weird, it's a weird place. Thanks, Connor. That's great. And this is a really important part of the process to not make judgments, just observations. So you're going to be recording all of these problems. Remember when I said earlier that I came up with 121 problems in the community? I literally was just listing them on post-it notes, which you're going to do later in the process. So it's really important when people are talking about what's not working in your church or later when you're meeting people in the contextual community and they're talking about the biggest problem in the community that you're just listing it. You're just writing it down. You're just observing it, but you're not judging like, actually, I don't think that's a problem or here's why you're wrong or hmm, I wonder why that is a problem. There's going to be time later where we're going to be thinking about that and putting the pieces together. But right now you're just recording every and listing every single problem that people are saying is a problem. They might be the only person it's a problem for, but we're still going to write it down. Okay. Thanks, Connor, for participating in this experiment with us, for answering these questions about yourself, your dreams, and your church to give us kind of an example to work off of. We really hope that your community and everyone that's listening here as expert listeners, that you enjoy this process, you have fun, feel free to ask follow-up questions, get to know the process, um, but really try to ask them in the order that they're asked for the reasons that we talked about. Have a good time.